Good morning, everyone. I'm Nate, uh, another pastor here at Hillcrest. It's good to be with you today and to, to lean in together. I'm really glad that Jason could pray for what happened on Wednesday and uh, found out uh, later this week on Friday that churches all around Kansas City are coming together uh, to support those who are affected by what happened. Uh, they're pooling resources and bringing together counselors and others to come alongside families, and uh, we're going to be part of that as Hillcrest. And so later this week, I, I hope you'll hear probably on Wednesday's email that goes out to the church, you'll hear about opportunities for us to show up and, and uh, show up for Kansas City and uh, be with those who have been hurt and injured um, and I'm glad that the church is responding because we need to. It's important that we do that. This morning, we're going to lean in on a, a new series that Jason was talking about in the book of Acts. And uh, I'm excited to go into this with you. Uh, throughout the book of Acts, there's different periods, different times when followers of Jesus stood up and began to talk about what they had experienced with Jesus. They began to talk about the kingdom of God moving in a new and powerful way. And so people like Peter and Philip and Stephen and Jesus and Paul stood and shared about the kingdom of God coming in a powerful new way. And so we're going to be looking at these sermons as we move through the next few weeks together as we start looking forward to Easter morning. And uh, so we're going to start this morning in Acts chapter 2. So I'm going to invite you to find a Bible, uh, open up to Acts chapter 2, or take your, your phone, open up your Bible app. Uh, to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to move all the way through the chapter to verse 41, so you're going to need to keep uh, your Bibles open uh, the whole time we're together this morning talking through this, this sermon that, that Peter gives right at the beginning. Uh, Peter gives a bunch of different sermons in the book of Acts, but this is his 1.0. It's his first one. It's kind of the kickoff, and it sets the tone for the rest of the sermons that we see uh, in this book. And we know that Acts 2, uh, I mean, the book of Acts was written by Luke. Luke wrote two books in the Bible. He wrote the one named after him, the third book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke. And then he also wrote the book of Acts. And we're told at the beginning of both of those volumes, Luke says, here's why I'm writing. And he says he's writing so that he can share with those that would read, that he could share what Jesus did and is continuing to do in the world uh, to bring about the kingdom of God. And in the Gospel of Luke, it was Jesus physically present, teaching and doing incredible things. And then in the book of Acts, Jesus continues to work, but now he's working through his followers. He's work, working through the, the, the early church. And I'm so glad that Luke wrote these things down for us. Uh, Jesus told the followers of his that the Spirit of God would, God would be poured out into their lives and that they would begin to, to, to do incredible things, that the Spirit would transform them and teach them, and that at the end they would do greater things than Jesus even did. And the book of Acts tells us about the things that his followers, Jesus' followers, did in the ancient world. As we get into Acts chapter 2, uh, it opens with the followers of Jesus gathered together in one room uh, waiting for God to tell them what to do next. And we see at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God uh, moving into the room. And it's, uh, we're told that it was like wind and it was like fire. And it came and it filled those 120 or so followers of Jesus that were waiting together in Jerusalem. Wind and fire. And so for the Jewish people, um, their minds would go right back to the Old Testament. You know, that's, that's their understanding. That's their heritage. And God showed up in wind and fire in the Old Testament as well. They would go back to the, the books of Moses. And when the, the Jewish people had been freed from slavery in Egypt and they were in the wilderness area and they had this tent-like sanctuary called the tabernacle that God told them to build. And then God showed up physically in that place. 
He came into the tabernacle with wind, and, and there was a pillar of fire. And this was a way of him showing up where people could see it physically happening, and they would have faith and confidence that God was with them, that they were his people, that he was leading them through the wilderness. And so as Acts opens up in chapter 2, we see the Spirit arrive again with wind and fire. And those who are gathered, they know that something's happening because they start to speak in different languages, languages they were unfamiliar with. Can you imagine walking down the street, talking to your friend, and suddenly you start speaking in Swahili or Spanish or some other language that you're unfamiliar with? They knew the Spirit of God was doing something because they all spoke Aramaic. And suddenly as they were there, the Spirit of God filled the, the place and they began speaking in Syriac and Coptic and Punic and Celtic and Latin. And they started speaking in all these ancient languages. And they began to roll out of this upper room into the streets of Jerusalem speaking languages. And of course, outside in the city, Jewish people from all around the world had gathered in Jerusalem because it just happened that they were gathered together during the Feast of the Harvest. This, did you know that God told the Jewish people, he said, I want you to have parties every so often. He says, I want you to have celebrations several times a year to celebrate the goodness that they, you see in the world, the goodness that God has done. And so one of these celebrations was the Feast of the Harvest. And so Jewish people from all different nations had come into Jerusalem to be there for the celebration. I have a map I want to put on the screen that shows the different nations that they came from. And these are the nations listed in Acts chapter 2 in the beginning there. And you see it was all around the ancient world that people had traveled to Jerusalem and so here comes these newly bilingual disciples spilling out into the streets of Jerusalem, and people just happen to hear their languages being spoken, and, and God is doing an incredible thing. I just want to remind you that, that what we read in Acts this morning, that, that this is history. This is what actually happened. This isn't, uh, you know, some magical story that third century philosophers and poets decided to come up with to entertain dinner guests at their house. Luke, Dr. Luke, as a medical professional, was interested in capturing the details and the moments of this breakout of the Spirit of God in the first century. And so he did a detailed research project and talked to eyewitnesses and wrote down their stories and put it together so that the, the story of the early church could be known. Even by us 2,000 years later, we would have a historical understanding of what took place in these moments. I want you to hold on to that truth this morning. These 120 that were filled with the Spirit spilled into the streets of Jerusalem and began to speak different languages. And it's just amazing to see God's plan, that he had brought people from all around the world together just for this moment, the breaking out of the Spirit of God. And those who are listening, they're a little confused. They're not sure what's happening. They hear some languages they don't understand, sounds like gibberish, so they start thinking, well, maybe these, these people are drunk because we don't know what's happening. And so we see Peter begin his sermon in verse 14 of chapter 2. So if you're there with me, look at verse 14. It says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I like how Peter adds that little nugget it's only not too early to be drunk. I'm like, okay, Peter, when is it okay to be drunk? You know, he's like, it's not what he's saying. He's just saying what you, what's happening here is not about alcohol. He says there's something happening. One of the phrases, my favorite, almost in the entire book of Acts, is in verse 14, where it says, Peter stood up and raised his voice. 
If you know anything about Peter, this is an incredible, miraculous moment. Peter, this uneducated fisherman who so often stumbled in his faith as he walked around with Jesus. Jesus said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to die and come back to life. And Peter said, no way. That's not happening. I'm not going to let that happen. Stood in the way of God's plan. Stepped out of the boat to walk on the water and after a few steps sunk under the waves. Now, I mean, he got out of the boat. That's pretty incredible. But he, he failed in, in a way, sinking under the waves. The night Jesus was arrested, Peter ran for his life. And then when he came back to see what was happening, he denied even knowing Jesus. He got offended when someone said, you're one of those followers of Jesus. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and as he denied even knowing Jesus, he locked eyes with his Savior. He locked eyes with Jesus. And it crushed his spirit. He ran away weeping. This same Peter stood up and raised his voice. God transformed him. Jesus met with him and said, I still got work for you to do. Let me ask you, when you think about your life, do you see uh, the mistakes that you've made? Do you look back and think about the poor choices you made and you think to yourself, there's no way God could use me? There's no way that the Spirit of God could work through me in a powerful way. I mean, look at what I did. Look at what I thought. Look at how I identified. Look at the things I chose to, to put my life into. I want you to think about Peter and how God transformed him. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, God has a plan for your life. He wants to use you. Your, your screw-ups is, is where God invites you to stand up. Your, your failures can be God's fulfillment. Your, your broken promises are really God's beautiful purpose for your life. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? You might feel like you're a failure. You might think you're disqualified or forgotten, but that is not true. God has a plan. He wants to work through you. Peter stood up. The guy who did everything wrong stood up and began to speak in a powerful way, raised his voice. God wants you to raise your voice as well. He's got a story he wants you to tell. He's put specific people around your life that he wants you to share about the kingdom of God, about what Jesus has done in your life. You are not cut off. You are called by God. So Peter stands up. And then there's that other phrase there that he stood with the 11. He didn't stand on his own. He had those followers of Jesus, his little small group stood with him. A hundred or so others that were there stood up with him. He did this with his community of faith. We stand with each other. We need each other to stand up and to share what God is doing. No one stands on their own here at Hillcrest. We stand together. Even when we're not physically together, we carry each other's burdens. We pray for one another. We support each other in the work that God has called us to do. Peter stood up with his, his small group, and he began to talk. And he says, listen. Listen, there's something, something happening here. It's not about alcohol. It's not about being drunk. God is doing something New. And he goes into this very first sermon in the book of Acts, this very first church service taking place in the streets of Jerusalem. And he sets the, the tone and the template for all the other sermons that are going to come later in the book of Acts. There's basically three movements in these sermons that we see in Acts. I want to give those to you before we read what Peter said. First, it's the story of Jesus. That's the first movement in these sermons. And then it's the titles of Jesus. And then it's the invitation of Jesus. We hear it over and over again as the preachers stand, as the teachers stand in the book of Acts to talk about what God is doing. They start by giving some context. They talk about who Jesus was and what he did and how he healed and how he died and rose again and, and, and how he moved in powerful ways. They go through the history of Jesus' life, his teaching, and then they talk about who he is because of that. And I, this is what he did, and now we know 
And they begin to share the titles of who Jesus is. He is the Savior. He is Lord. He is the Messiah. And then they move from that call to the one true God, and they say, so it requires some action. There's an invitation that Jesus gives you. And they wrap up their sermons with a call to believe and to receive, to believe what Jesus did, that he has forgiven you, and to receive a new life and a new calling as you move forward. So if we look at Acts 2, we're going to see that outline play out as Peter begins his sermon here. So we're back, again, chapter 2, we've read 14 and 15. Look at verse 16. He says, we're not, it's, it's not about being drunk. He says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Then he goes back into the Old Testament and he quotes some of the book of Joel. Joel wrote these words, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and spillers of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great, the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter says, this is hundreds of years before Jesus came, the prophet Joel spoke about Jesus' arrival and what Jesus would do. And he says, what you see happening is this prophecy that Joel said about the Holy Spirit being poured out. What you're observing, he says, is the Spirit of God moving in a powerful new way. Joel had prophesied during a time in Judah when a, a swarm of locusts had come through and destroyed the harvest, wiped out all the crops, and the people were left without food, wondering, is God good? Is God going to take care of us? And Joel stood up to remind them that God is good and faithful, that he was not caught off guard, that he is with them, and he's going to take care of them. And he uses these different images. He says, it's a good day. Good things are happening. But, but the images he uses here are a little strange because they don't sound all that good. Smoke and fire and blood and darkness. It sounds a little bit more like a haunted house in West Bottoms than the, the kingdom of God coming to the people. But Joel says, it's good news that I'm bringing, that God is breaking forth on earth, that his spirit is being poured out and there is more to come. There's going to be a wave of God's movement as the kingdom of God comes to earth. And he's going to work through men and women who trust him, who follow him. God will reveal his wonders and his glory. And Peter says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter didn't even know what he was saying when he said that. Because at this time when Peter said that, he was thinking of the Jewish people alone, the people in the tribe of Israel. And it would be a few chapters later when God would help Peter understand, no, it's for everyone. Those who are Jewish and those who are not Jewish, everyone is invited into this new kingdom of God that is breaking free on earth. And so he continues after this quote from the Old Testament book of Joel. In verse 22, he continues. He says, so people of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know, he says. This man, this Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I think what Peter is getting at here is so important. He says, Joel talked about this one who would come, and I want want you to know, he says, it's Jesus. 
Jesus is the one that Joel was talking about, the one who would be, whose name we would have to lift up to be saved. And he says, you know who I'm talking about. You're aware of what Jesus did. What Jesus did for three years was not hidden or done in secret. He was public in his ministry as he taught and as he did incredible things. Those, even they, though they had come from all the corners of the ancient world, they would have heard about this rabbi in Israel that was teaching in a powerful new way. This rabbi who was bringing dead people back to life, who was feeding thousands of people at one time with miracle food. This one who was teaching with power and hanging out with all the wrong people having dinner with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and all the religious elite were, were ticked off at him. The word about Jesus had gotten around the world. And Peter says, you know all about him and you killed him. Pretty bold statement for Peter to roll out right here in the midst of his sermon. We put him on a cross, Peter says. Now, of course, I think there were probably people listening to Peter that weren't there 50 days before when Jesus was arrested. They were in these other nations, these other uh, countries around Israel. But Peter says, we're all responsible. We all put Jesus on that cross. It's because of our sin, our rebellion, that he hung on that cross to pay the price for our sin. He says, you did this. And Peter acknowledges this really interesting mix of God's providence and human responsibility. He says, it was God's deliberate plan for Jesus to die, and he saw that plan out by using you and me and putting us uh, where we put him on the cross. And the fact that Peter is saying these words right here tells us that he's growing in his discipleship of Jesus, because when Jesus talked about dying the first time, Peter said, there's no way that's going to happen, and now Peter understands that this has been all part of God's plan, that this was the idea that death was not going to be the end of the story, but that the Messiah had to die so that he could give us new life. And, and Peter writes about how Jesus came out of the grave. He talks about the agony of death in verse 24. Agony of death, that word agony, uh, it's not so much about the pain of death. Every other time that word is used in the New Testament, it refers to birth pain, the pains of, of birth as a new life is coming into the world. And death couldn't hold Jesus any more than a pregnant woman can hold a baby in her womb. And that tomb of Joseph was, was pregnant with new life, even as Jesus laid there and he rose again and invites us into a new kind of reality, this resurrected Messiah. Peter speaks about it. And now he's going to anchor the truth of resurrection in the Old Testament prophecy. So he, he goes on and he begins to quote from Psalm 16 and Psalm 110, these, these passages that Jewish men and women who were listening, they would know these are the passages about the Messiah. These are messianic psalms from the Old Testament, these songs that speak of the Son of God, the one anointed by God who would come and set the world right again. And so Peter begins to link Jesus to these Old Testament psalms. So look at verse 25, and he goes back to David. He says, David said about Jesus... And then he quotes Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because God, you will not let me, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You, made no, you have made known to me the paths of life and you fill me with joy in your presence. Peter says David was talking about the Messiah when he said that you won't let my body see decay. He was talking about the one who would come, the Messiah who would come. And so he lays that out in the next passage here, verse 29. 
Peter continues, he says, Brothers and sisters, we all know that this patriarch David, King David, that he died and was buried. His tomb is here to this very day. He's like, let's go see that tomb. David wasn't talking about himself. He says, we know that he died, but, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath, that God would place on the throne one of David's descendants. And seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. And God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what now you see happening here, what you hear and what you see happening. Resurrection was always part of the plan. And of course, those listening had, had their doubts about that. This was a hot topic in the first century in the Jewish culture. It divided religious groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They disagreed over the resurrection. And so Peter, he's like, I want to make this clear. That resurrection's always been part of the plan. That in the Old Testament, David wrote about it, prophesied that the one, the chosen one of God would come back to life. And then Peter says, we are witnesses. We, we saw this happen. And I think you probably pointed to the 11 that were standing with him, but you can assume that all 120 that had been in that upper room would have stood up and said, yes, we, can, we are witnesses. We saw him die on that cross. And then we ran into him later. We sat and we had food with him. We sat and we talked with him. We, we could tell you what he looked like after he had died and came back to life. We went to the tomb and it was empty. Several hundred people were there as eyewitnesses of what Peter was talking about. We believe in, in a supernatural reality. As those who follow Jesus, we believe that God can do what God wants to do, how God wants to do it. And one of the things we believe is that God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. That God created systems uh, that he put into play in this world so that we can understand part of what he's doing. And so he created systems like the atmospheric system or the biological system or relational systems. And, you know, God is not anti-science. He put everything together. Now science is discovering and researching and understanding the systems that God put into place. And at the same time, we believe that God can step outside of those systems and do supernatural things that, that we might not expect. He can heal broken hearts. He can put together torn muscles. He can repair injustice. He can bring dead things back to life. And Peter says, look, we're all witnesses of what happened. And now you are witnesses of the Spirit of God being poured out. You are involved now in this story Jesus said the Spirit would come, and now Jesus has risen again, and he has shared the Spirit of God with us. And you, that's what you see happening right now. You are witnesses also. And then he goes back to Psalm 110, another Psalm of David. He just wants to lock it in, that what he's talking about has been the plan from the beginning. So he goes, uh, look at verse 34. For King David did not ascend to heaven. He died and was buried. He didn't ascend to heaven. And yet David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David wrote, God said, send my Lord. I'm, the Lord's going to come up to heaven and be at my right side. And, we're like, and Peter's saying, that's not David. He wasn't writing about himself. He quotes Psalm 110. This is the most quoted psalm in the whole New Testament. 13 different times the writers of the New Testament talk, talk about Psalm 110. And Peter would have heard Jesus use it. As he was talking with Pharisees and challenging them in their understanding of the role of the Messiah, Jesus would pull out Psalm 110. And so I love how Peter, he's like, well, Jesus used it. I'm going to use it. You know, I'm going to put that in my sermon. 
because I saw my, my, my Savior do that. And he says, this is the evidence that God is doing a new thing, that God, the Messiah, has come and has risen to new life. And so he wraps it up in verse 36. Peter's going to wrap up his talk. He's talked about the history of Jesus, what Jesus did, how they treated Jesus, the truth about Jesus. And he ends with verse 36. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. There's the titles of Jesus. Jesus is Lord and Messiah. He is the leader of our lives. He is God himself. And he is Messiah, the one who has saved us, the one who came to release the kingdom of God on earth. This kingdom you've been waiting for, this son of God that Daniel wrote about in the Old Testament, the suffering servant that Isaiah prophesied of, Peter says, this is the one, Jesus, the, the very one we crucified and rose again. He is the Messiah, the one we've waited for. Peter calls them to this wonderful truth. He said, we killed the anointed one, but it was all part of God's redemptive plan. And now a new life is being offered to us. We can be delivered from our sin and our brokenness. We can be part of the kingdom of God breaking out on earth. We brought death. God offers us life. We sinned and we, we attacked, but Jesus forgives and he restores. Our gracious, our, our loving God doesn't treat us as we should be treated, but he offers us more even when we take Theologians write about this. There's a theologian, David Goodling, that wrote about this passage. And he says, here's Peter talking about the good news of the kingdom of God. And, and he writes, they, they had murdered God's son, and now Peter is offering them his spirit. They had crucified the second person of the Trinity, and now God is offering them the third person. This is how gracious God is to us, how good he is to us. How did those listening respond? Look at verse 37. When the people heard Peter... They were cut to the heart, and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? That word cut to the heart, that's a powerful word picture. This idea that they're, they were hit, it hit them. What Peter was saying struck them. They, were, they felt it in their souls. They realized what they had done. It's like the whole puzzle came together. And some who had been there when Jesus was crucified, it suddenly clicked for them, that was the Messiah, I can't believe what we did. They were cut to the heart. This is what God's word does. I love what the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter four. It talks about the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any sword that has two edges. It cuts deep enough to separate soul from spirit. It's, it can separate joints from bones. It judges the thoughts and purposes of the heart. The writer says that the word of God cuts to our hearts. And here's Peter, even before his words were captured in this volume, his words are already doing what the word of God does, piercing them to the heart. And their response is so good. They ask this question, what, what should we do? What should we do? They realize that what Peter is talking about is not just in interesting information. They're not there just taking notes and drawing timelines and thinking, wow, how interesting. They realize that, that what God is doing in this moment is he's changing things. He's doing something new. And so they say, what are we supposed to do? They understand that what Jesus has done for them requires a response. And they're sorry, but they know that's not enough. 
They're moved emotionally, but they know that's not sufficient. They're listening, and, and it's like God has grasped them, and they understand that he doesn't want to just give us information. God wants to give us transformation. And so they say, what should we do? What is it we're supposed to do? Isn't that a great response? And I hope that's our response to God's word, that we say, what, what are we supposed to do? And so Peter responds. Look at verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. What you see happening, you can get in on this. You can take part in what God is doing in this moment. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I love how he, Peter adds that little piece at the end, for all who are far off. And I doubt he was thinking about it, but I know God was inspiring him, and here we are. God was looking down the years, down the millennia, those who are far off, those who will live in 2024, those who will be welcomed into the kingdom of God, any who will respond to what God is doing in the world today. In verse 40, with many other words, Peter warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Isn't that a powerful closing of his sermon? Like, what is it that they're supposed to do? Peter says, repent and be baptized. Repent, turn your life around. Realize that you're walking towards death, and God invites you to walk towards life. Repent, stop the direction of your life. Turn around and walk towards the life you were created for. Walk towards God. And, and this can happen because Jesus has come and forgiven us, and given us a new way of life. Respond, repent, and then he says, be baptized. Take this public, physical act of going underneath the water to, to symbolize the internal change happening inside of you that you want to show that externally. So he said, go into the water where you go underneath the water, and you die to yourself, and you come out of the water to a new life. Repent and be baptized, all of you, he says, in the name of Jesus. So what is the message for us today? I'm sure you hear it. God is saying he wants us to repent, to turn around. Those of us maybe who've been fascinated by Jesus, those of us who've been curious about the scriptures or wondering what the church is all about, maybe you've been here for many years and taking part in observing what happens here. And perhaps today, this is that moment where Jesus is saying to you, repent. It's time to turn your life around. It's time to realize this is more than just interesting information. The Spirit of God is moving in our world today, and you are invited to be transformed by the Spirit and to live in a new way. So repent and then be baptized. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe you, you have repented. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus, but you've never been baptized. And we're invited into baptism as a way of celebrating this new life that we have. In just a few weeks on Easter Sunday, we want to do some baptisms here as a church community. We want to celebrate new life on Easter. And so if you've not been baptized, I want to encourage you to consider taking that step as we move towards Easter. You can take one of those connection cards and write a little note, I'd like to be baptized. You can email me or talk to any of our staff. Let us know. We'd love to celebrate that with you. And the passage here, it ends with, it says, 3,000 responded. I think it's incredible what God did on that day. How amazing that he brought all these people to town. The Spirit of God broke out. 
Peter and others stood up and began to share the good news about Jesus, and 3,000 responded. This is the kickoff of the church. I mean, what a launch, right? What a way to begin this new movement of God in history. And here we are 2,000 years later, still part of that kingdom of God, still part of what God wants to do on, on the earth today, bringing light and hope and love and grace to people around us, helping invite them into this way of life that we get to walk experiencing the Spirit of God working in us, even in our brokenness, even in our our failures, that God says, "I, I redeem you, I call you by name, I forgive you. Let's move and act in the ways that God is inviting us to today. I want us to pray together, but before we do that, I want to invite the worship team to come up. They're going to close us in a song, and and while we're singing together, I'm going to invite you to consider coming up for prayer. Every Sunday at the end of our services, we have volunteers up front to pray with you, our prayer team. And uh, so I want to invite you to stand right now with me, and I want to invite our prayer volunteers to come up at this time to be available for prayer and And if God's uh, moving in your heart in an important way, maybe a new way today, if there's something going on in your world that you'd love for someone to pray with you about, uh, maybe there's a celebration that you just want to share, or maybe there's a concern that you have about your own life or the life of a friend, and uh, our prayer team will be up front here, and they want to pray with you and encourage you this morning. So even as we're singing, come up and and let us pray with you, and, and let's worship God together. Will you sing with us now? God, your name is great. Things change when we speak your name. We will never grow restless of praising you, Lord. We'll never, we'll never grow weary of worshiping you. Lord, we pray that our, our worship is always bigger than our worry. We pray that we lay everything at your feet and that we place everything in your hands because you could do so much more with a little bit. God, we trust you. We honor you. We worship you in everything that we do. Every breath that we take, let it be a breath of gratitude and thanksgiving and honoring you, Lord. We love you so much, God. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for taking on sin on our behalf. Thank you for renewing us and restoring us, Lord. We want to live for you. It's in your son's mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Can we give Pastor Nate a round of applause for delivering such an incredible word for us this morning? Thank you so much for joining us in praise and worship. And if you're watching online, thank you so much. If this is your first time and you've been looking uh, for a church home, we hope that you find a home here at Hillcrest. We want to say welcome and thanks for joining us at our 1030 service. Guys, we want to honor God as we go out. So be blessed and be at peace. Drop your tithes and offerings and your connection cards in the joy boxes by the door. And we'll see you guys next week. Be blessed.